Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. We're taking a little break today from our normal sermon series on the Gospel of Luke to talk about uh, not just Father's Day. I was thinking about talking about Father's Day and addressing a sermon for dads, and then I realized, you know, most of you aren't dads, and and about two-thirds of you really aren't dads. So I thought maybe a parenting sermon would be a good choice. And then I remember this wise word from a pastor friend of mine, and he said this to me. He said, the best thing you can do for your kids is to love their mother. And so I want to talk about marriage today. I want to share some insights from Tim Keller's book, The Meaning of Marriage. I want to talk about marriage today for a couple reasons. One, it's, it's a critical topic. It's important. And two, marriage is just a microcosm of all other relationships. So if you're sitting there going, oh, I'm, not, I'm not married, I'm, I'm single, it's okay because we're going to learn some stuff that you're going to go, I can apply this to my other relationships and this is going to be a good thing. Or I can use this and teach my kids or my friends. And that's important too. Because when you interact with people and you have a good close friend and that person is struggling, a lot of times it's, it's a marital issue. Or it's a financial issue that becomes a marital issue. That's pretty common, too. And so this morning, we're going to teach about marriage. It's not looking good for marriage these days. How many of marriage, what's the percentage of marriages that end up in divorce? You heard the figure? I heard lots of them. Okay. Yeah, usually what I hear is 50%. 50% of all marriages end up in divorce, which isn't quite true. The real figure is closer to 45%, which isn't much better. It's slightly better, but not much better. When you look at first marriages, though, it's a little bit more, uh, a little bit better. 61% of first marriages remain intact. And so 61% of first marriages remain intact. And then as, uh, what we find is that second marriages have a lower rate of success, and third marriages have an even lower rate of success. Fourth marriages have an even lower, lower, lower rate of success. And that's how the trend continues. But still, the divorce rate today is twice what it was in 1960. It's doubled in 50 years. In 1970, 89% of births were to married parents. Today, it's only 60%. In 1960, 72% of all American adults were married. Today, it's 50% are married. And the attitude of marriage today was, was summed up by theologian Chris Rock. It's a comedian, but you know, <laughs> deep down we're all theologians. <laughs> There's, theology touches everything. And he said this, do you want to be single and lonely or married and bored? That's an attitude of many in our world today. It's true. While marriage is down, Cohabitation is on the rise. And more than half of all people live together before getting married with the assumption that a trial period will enable a more successful marriage. I've talked to many couples like that. The, uh, the stat in here is at more than half, but my personal experience is it's, it's closer to 80%. It's very, very common. But the studies show that living together before marriage not improve 
your success rate in marriage. It just doesn't. People who live together before marriage have higher rates of separation and or divorce than people who just get married. People who live together before marriage rate their marriages uh, less satisfactory than people who don't live together before marriage. And people who live together before marriage report lower satisfaction regarding intimacy in the marriage than people who just get married. So what hope is there for marriage? Is it, as some have said, an institution on the decline and needs to be eliminated? Or is there something here worth salvaging? Here's some good news about marriage. The greatest percentage of those of divorces happen to those who marry before they're 18 years old and or drop out of high school or uh, have a baby together before marriage. So if you're reasonably well-educated with a decent income, you come from an intact family, attend church regular, regularly, and you marry after 25 years old and then have a baby, your chances of success in marriage are fairly good. It's fairly high. Survey after survey after survey uh, affirms the fact that over 60% of all married people rate their marriages as very happy. Not just happy, very happy. That's pretty good. Most striking of all, University of Chicago sociologist Dr. Linda Waite has done some longitudinal studies of marriage. And she's found out that two-thirds of all marriages, of all people who are married who report their marriage as being uh, unsatisfactory, after five years, report that their marriage is doing better and that they're happy. Two-thirds. That two-thirds of people who say, I'm just going to wait this one out, see if we can push through this bad, this bad phase here, two-thirds find out, yeah, it was worth it. It works. So what's the secret? What's the secret of a happy marriage? Lots of theories out there. But today I'm going to tell you the secret. It's not about finding your soulmate. It's not. The secret to a successful marriage is not compatibility. All those Match.com commercials, sorry, that's not the secret. It's not compatibility. My favorite one is FarmersOnly.com. I love that one. I've often wanted to go on on the site and go, who's on here? There's like 50 people total. I I don't know. I, I don't know. Farmersonly.com. You live in a town of 10,000 more? Get out. We don't want you. Farmersonly.com. I love it. That's great. It's not about compatibility. I should have asked my wife for permission, so I'm going to say something. And if I get in trouble later, just beat me. All right? My wife and I were dating in college. And we decided we were going to make a list of all the ways we were compatible together, right? We came up with three things. We both wanted a dog. Like, this is good. We both want a dog. We both liked smooth peanut butter and did not like chunky peanut butter. It's true. And um, 
we both like fantasy and sci-fi movies and adventure movies. Three. Been married 18 years now. The dog died a few months ago. <laughs> I love peanut butter and jelly. No one else in the family likes it anymore. But we still like sci-fi and adventure movies, so that's good. We've got that going for us. And we have a great marriage. We're absolutely incompatible. She came from the country. I came from the city. I had never driven on a dirt road before I met her. <laughs> Ever. We drive up to her folks. Her folks, they lived a half hour from the nearest neighbor. They lived an hour from the nearest town. I met her dad. He took me shooting. I've never shot a gun before in my life. Heather's out there the target. I take a shot. Dad gives me a rifle. He's like, why don't you shoot this gun? Shoot that target way up there. I'm like, okay. Gun kicks back. I get a scope. I start bleeding from my forehead. I hold the gun out so I don't bleed on this guy's gun. And he says, What's the matter, city slicker? <laughs> like, I'm bleeding. He goes, oh, that's a scope scar. Of course, I've never seen anyone get a scope scar on a rifle that low-powered before. <laughs> you better tell people you're shooting this type of gun. Get in the truck, city slicker. The secret's not compatibility. It's not the secret. Here's the truth about marriage. Marriage is the union of two sinners who will deeply know the sinfulness of their own spouse. When you get married, you find out stuff about the other person you never found out when you were dating. And you realize this Prince Charming that you married, this uh, gorgeous woman that you married, is a sinner and selfish find that out right away. My wife found that out right away. She married a sinner. And a self-centered one at that. And in our culture today, we've taken marriage and we've elevated it to such a high place that in a marriage, you will find the source of your happiness and your fulfillment and your purpose in life. You will be self-actualized by who you pick in marriage. And in essence, we've taken our spouse and put that person in the place of God. Because our ancestors never considered marriage that way. When our ancestors looked for the source of happiness and joy and fulfillment and purpose, they looked to God. And in our culture today, we've replaced that, we've killed God, we've elevated our spouses, and then are shot to find out when they disappoint us. And that sinner you married never reach that level. He, she can never reach that level of expectation. It's kind of like, it's a lousy analogy, but it's kind of like, have you ever gone to see a movie and a friend of yours said, it's a great movie, you're going to love this movie and you go and watch the movie and you're like it was alright it was okay it was, it was worth 8 bucks not 20 I spent on it right? it's okay 
But you might have a friend tell you about the exact same movie. And the friend will go, oh, yeah, it's all right. It's all right. And your expectations are lowered. You go see the movie, and you're like, wow, that was pretty good. That was pretty good. I liked that quite a bit. So is the secret to marriage just lowering your expectations? Just settling. You're like, you know, he doesn't pass gas too often. He does put the toilet seat down. And um, he has a nice smile. No. Thank God, no. It's not the secret. The secret of marriage is this. It's in Ephesians chapter 5. If you're bold enough, turn there. Find your Bible. It's right there in the chair, right there in front of you. Again, only if you're bold enough, because these are not easy words, but they're good words, and it's the secret. It's on page 1,159. Ephesians chapter 5, page 1,159. Verse 21, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21 on page 1,159. Here we go. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Let me say this again. It's critical. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. The husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. This is the secret. But I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her. Secret of marriage. Submitting to one another. It's serving one another. And so the foundation of marriage, the first foundation is this. It's not your love for each other. It's Jesus' love for you. Because when your identity is wrapped up in Jesus' love for you, you will look to Jesus as a source of your happiness, your identity, your purpose, and your meaning in life. You'll find your source there. Because if you're looking to your spouse for that source, you will be sorely disappointed. And so the first foundation of marriage is to find Jesus and His love for you, to be wrapped up in that. To find that as the source of your joy and your strength 
and your security. And that way, when, you're, when your spouse lets you down, because that happens, it hurts, but it's not devastating. It's a struggle, but it's not, it's not a, the failure of the marriage. Because Jesus is providing for you. Jesus is providing for you. Tim Keller tells this great story about this 16-year-old girl. And she was very, very upset. And she said to Tim Keller basically this. I know God loves me. I know Jesus Christ died on the cross for me. I know I'm saved by his grace. And I know I have peace and joy and life forever in his name, now and always. But this boy just doesn't like me. And I'm very upset by it. And so she's elevated this 16-year-old pimply-faced kid above God. We do that sometimes. Jesus is the source of our joy. And that's the first foundation of marriage. The second foundation is this. The gracious love of Jesus enables you to love your spouse graciously. Or gracefully. Love your spouse even when you don't feel like it. And this is how Heather and I started dating. We were in this class in college called Human Relations. Good place to meet your future spouse. And the professor gave an assignment, a team project, and the assignment was this define love. And I saw this cute girl across across the way in the classroom. I went, Like, you know, looking around, like, is this guy weird or something, you know? And so we did it. We defined love as an action. It's not a feeling. Feelings come and go. They're strong, they're low. They ebb and flow. Love is an action. Love is a verb. And we did that project together and went, oh, we work pretty well together. This could, this could go somewhere based on the foundation of the gracious love of Jesus. See, Jesus doesn't love you so he can get something from you. Jesus just loves you because he's gracious. And sometimes in marriages and in friendships, we keep tally, right? I did this, 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 and this, and this person better, you know, put up, pay up. We keep a tally. And it hurts marriages, and it hurts friendships. And marital love, and all love, really, but especially love in marriages, is about loving grace fully. And here's the secret. When you share that type of grace-filled love, you find that you get passionate love and friendship love too. It comes with it. But when your goal is passion and happiness, you often don't get it. Or it's short-lived. The secret to marriage is to love like Jesus. And His grace-filled love for you. Which is the third foundation of marriage. And marriage is a reflection of the gospel. The gospel is this. You are more sinful and flawed than you ever dared believe. And at the same time, you are more loved and accepted by God 
than you ever dared hope. That's the gospel. And one of our deepest needs in life is to be fully known and fully loved. And one of our greatest fears in life is to be fully known and not loved. And we often work out this goal in the midst of our own woundedness and our own self-centeredness with a spouse who is just as wounded and self-centered. The gospel makes it possible. The gospel makes it possible because Jesus Christ loves you. At this point, it's natural to ask, but if my spouse would love like that, things would be great. And that's probably true. But I'm preaching to you. And here's the great thing. When you love your spouse like that, you can make huge changes in your marriage. You can't. It takes two to tango, but it takes one to lead. And there's this great book called Divorce Busting by author Michelle Weiner Davis. Unfortunate name, great book. <laughs> and the premise of her book is simply this, that one person can change a marriage. One person can. You can't make someone change. That's impossible. But you can influence. And there's two ways of doing that. It, well, there's one way. It's by loving it's not by enabling. That's not love. It's not by uh, letting things pass and ignoring hurtful behavior. Because that's not love either. You know what that is? That's idolatry. It's saying, I need you, and I'm afraid I'm going to leave you. You're going to leave me. And so I'm not going to bring up subjects that are hurtful and challenging because you might walk. Instead, I'm going to love you enough to lovingly speak the truth to you. And that's the huge challenge. Because speaking the truth is often harsh. And speaking just love but not truth is just sentimentality. Love is speaking truthfully in love. And that's the secret of marriage. The secret of marriage is not about finding the right person. And to a lesser extent, it's not about being the right person. The secret of marriage is knowing Jesus' gracious love for you. Finding your source, and your identity, and your purpose, and your happiness and joy there. And letting that overflow to your spouse, or your friends, or your kids, or your stepkids or even to your employees. That's the secret. And the only way it's possible, the only way it's possible, is knowing Jesus' incredible, committed, enduring love for you. For you. Not for someone else. Not for who you should be, or for who you ought to be, or who you could be. Jesus says, incredible, gracious, committed love for you today. Amen.
Amen. May the gracious love of Jesus wrap you in his arms, his pierced hands, each and every day. And may be the foundation of your love, your life, your marriages, your friendships, your eternity.